Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we discuss two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Dave Gurney. I'm here in the new year with my good friend Joe and Hillier. fellow host. Joe Absolutely. Hillier. Great to I, see I, I you, Joe. I did step on my own. First, first time we're recording in 2024. This is the first right. episode of 2024. New year, same old beer in a movie, same old quality that you're going to be able to rely upon because we have one of our best guests back oh, in the mix. Oh, I can't, I cannot wait for to hear her opinions on these two films. Emily. Yes. Thank I'm you here. for being here. <laughs> Thanks for having me again. This is going to be a fun one because, you know, it's that time of the year that longtime listeners are always going to know. January is when you and I, David, like to catch up with all of the ones that didn't make it to our town or they're just now hitting the streaming services, all those award buzzy films. Yeah. I feel like this is two of them, probably, well, because is- the Academy loves a biopic. Well, there you go. And that, and that's really the linking theme. We do, we do have two new films this week. This is a fairly typical thing in award season that biopics start getting that kind of, these are kind of actor performer showcases, don't you think in general biopics? Yeah. 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 Walk the line (laughs) and then Ray. I mean, there's always a ton of, well, Elvis more recently, Austin Butler. Yeah. It's sort of a perennial favorite of award season. So before we get to, our first biopic of the episode, though, Joe and I need to get something in our glass. And actually, Emily's going to have something, too. She'll talk about in just a minute. Sure. Last, Joe, what do you have for us? Last week, we discussed the horrible and sad news of Ingenious closing down. And this week, Strange I times. was able to get up there since the last time we recorded. I made a trip to Humble, Texas to visit Ingenious. So I'm excited to say that the reign oh, of them being our number one drink brewery on the show isn't going to end yet because you will hear about a lot of Ingenious in the next few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. This desperate uh, attempt, well, not desperate, but this last attempt to... uh up the tally to the point where they won't be dethroned for a while. Yeah, for they will while. be at some point. Just but, came yeah. hot on their heels. <laughs> Did you go in there and do like supermarket sweep? <laughs> <laughs> Emily, it was the it was uh, it was joyous and depressing, Aww. and I will talk about all of it in after hours. Yeah. Uh, my trip to Ingenious. Yeah, I, I want to hear what the mood was like to in watch the, tap the room. Yeah, watch yeah. The, within, the, within the last seven days of them operating. Uh, so we'll talk about that. But I did bittersweet, back. bittersweet. David, I saw this one and I said I got to get it from a boy. This is called Das Crisp. It is a German pilsner from Ingenious, the amazing Texas brewery that will soon be no more. This is a 5.2% following the German purity laws, a.k.a. the Runheiskabot. There are only four ingredients. The finest German pilsner malt, Holler Tower Mittel Frusch hops, water, and yeast. Prost, y'all, says the can. Well, Joe, I cannot thank you enough for making the trip and for bringing this back. We have some potent cans in this place today. I don't know what that is. When when I opened mine, it sprayed all over the place. I think I hit you with it, Emily. And now you've opened yours. Yours stayed contained, but it overflowed. Yes, indeed. Sorry about that. (laughs) You're drinking something a little different. I don't want to miss this here. You you have a a brewery that Joe thinks that we had. He's going to check on this, I think. Yeah, back when we did that September where we did uh, nothing but non-alcoholic beers, David, Back yep. in episode 213, Bravus, we drank their oatmeal dark. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I have the Blood Orange IPA here. Ooh, love Blood Orange flavor. I, uh, I feel like in, in a episode or two is on its way. Well, dry January is a thing for a lot of people. That's right. That, I was talking to somebody the other night who was, who was telling me that she was going to be doing a dry January, and I hope she's doing well with it. I haven't quite made that pledge for myself, obviously. Here I am drinking uh, or uh, about to drink this Das Crisp that I'm very excited that you you got for us, Joe. Thank you. Now, is the nose as important with the Pilsner for you, David, as one of these fruity stouts or IPAs? Um, pro- probably not as important, but it's certainly a piece of it. I want it to be pretty mild. I, d- I don't want there to be an outrageous hop aroma. Given that it's a, a Pilsner, I hope there's a little bit of that kind of a, a slight snappy bitterness in there from the hops Uh but i i don't want it to be over the top i want it to just kind of smell clean almost like a little you know that light pilsner malt smell like when you open a miller light along those lines Uh yeah Yeah, this is um (laughs) this smells great and it's crystal clear and uh again one of the last beers we'll ever enjoy on the show from ingenious so i'm excited about this 
Well, thank you for getting these last few My in. Pleasure. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to be sipping on this while we talk about our first biopic this week, which is one that was released in 2023. Actually had a short theatrical window. Um, we did not get it in our area of the country. I don't know exactly how far it expanded, but I know probably the New York's, L.A.'s, sure. Chicago's. Had a couple weeks where Maestro, the 2023 biopic of Leonard Bernstein, directed and uh, put together and starred in by Bradley Cooper, his directorial follow-up to A Star is Born from, was that 2018 that that came out? Just before the pandemic, I know. Obviously critically praised, so here, you know, high hopes, I think, for many going into this one, where he's taking on the life of, you know, really this figure who's kind of this towering figure in the world of music, which... I mean, growing up, I, the, the film even brings it in a little bit, right? We get the end of the world as we know it, the uh, the REM song that has the you know classic shout of Leonard Bernstein yeah. uh, among mm-hmm. the list of many things that right. are being, you know, which is probably how he first came into my consciousness, to mm-hmm. be honest. But but I do think I, I I may have seen him on you know maybe the Boston Pops or something like that. There was a there was a broadcast, but you know, composer, conductor in various different genres as well, right? He was in the sort of traditional classical world, but he also did musical theater, operettas, film scores. So he's really kind of like this strangely um, versatile figure in the world of music. And the biopic, the, the route they take here is to, as with many, you have to be selective, find these moments in somebody's life to kind of focus on. And the real focus here is his relationship with uh, Felicia uh, Montalegro. Mm-hmm. Is that, am I getting that right? Yeah. Uh, who, who in this case uh, is, is played by um, Carrie Mulligan, who had had some pretty prominent roles in the past. Yeah. You know, there, there's maybe a slight bit of controversy in this film going into it with her being cast uh, for... Uh, a Hispanic woman, it, you know, Felicia Montalegro was was Cuban, I believe, in, in her background. Costa Rican. Costa Rican, thank you. You know, also Leonard Bernstein himself being, you know, kind of Jewish and Cooper not and using the prosthetic nose and stuff. So going into it, there's been a little bit of buzz. Um, but here we're seeing a film that focuses mostly on the relationship of this couple yeah. that was sort of a power couple, her a stage actress, him, this composer and conductor. And their children, but all in the context of him having a very active extramarital love life, especially with men, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, again, kept somewhat private at the time, but has become more open as the years have gone on. Uh, and, and this film is really about the complexity of that relationship. It's interesting, given all of the buzz that this film had that yeah. the acting was like top notch and the cinematography that bradley cooper put together actually a very fine piece of cinema mm. and i'll just say up top and i've said this kind of thing before all of those check boxes that you're going to list for making a great movie acting performances set design cinematography costuming for a period piece like this they all hit this movie is beautiful mm-hmm. to watch from a cinematography point of view, the the acting is is incredible. I don't know anything about Leonard Bernstein outside of knowing his name, and I, I, he's famous for this or that. But seeing this incredible time in his life when he's just getting going, and then the opportunity to not only be a conductor at, at what was the venue that he uh, the New York Philharmonic, right? Was the I first, mean that's yeah, that's creme de la creme yeah. around the world. But then into that composing music for. These iconic things like West Side Story, West Side Story, and uh, the um, the ballet that eventually became On the Town, which is a famous mm-hmm. stage musical yeah. that was made into a film with Sinatra and Kelly. And, he had yeah. this string of hits that put him on a league unlike anything else. Well, he's like a pop star and a classical right. in the forties and fifties when your record player was your primary, you know, yeah. at home was your primary source of entertainment. Radio broadcast, yeah, which, yeah, right. The birth of television. And he was right there at the beginning. I I did not know how staggeringly successful this man was. Well, and and I think the thing... I learned a lot about Leonard Bernstein watching this film. I'm going to say this really quick, and then I want to hear what Emily has to think. But it is... I don't think a film that you can go into without knowing Bernstein and really learn a ton about his accomplishments. And that, if I have anything that I would say is a bit of a frustration for me with the film, is I wish it had given me a little bit more... I think it assumed that I knew a lot and I was willing to do the work of reading behind because I, I spent like an hour on Wikipedia and following a few other you know pages afterwards 
to read up on some of the things that were going on in the film to get that context that surrounded them because there are things that are kind of referred to very quickly and fleetingly and people he interacts with and that are important in his life that they never really get developed. And I think that's, you have to cut corners somewhere. You have to figure out what can I do like the sort of, you know, telegraphed version of here to get away with it. And I think if you're not a hardcore Bernstein fan, you don't know his work, his body of work, it's not going to teach you that, but it is going to tell you about this life of, mm-hmm. that he led. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with everything you guys have said, but I, I'm just with the amount of money and talent behind this production, I kind of marvel at the fact that this is the best script yeah. they could come up with. Huh. It just was lacking, so lacking for what could have been a really colorful, really juicy, and I don't mean, I don't mean salacious. I just mean a really toothsome life. What was lacking in your opinion? I just felt like things were not connected. The acting, as you said, top notch. Mm -hmm. Bradley Cooper can act the shit out Mm -hmm. of being (laughs) Leonard Bernstein. Uh And Carrie Mulligan never misses. And so... All of these, you know, these characters are wonderful set design, cinematography. Uh-huh. I mean, some of the prettiest scenes I've ever seen in any movie, period. Yeah. In this movie. It's still missed for me. It yeah. just, it didn't come together. And I was talking it to death um, this morning on another Discord. I'm in the movie talk. Uh-huh. And a gal made a really good point. She said, there's a good movie somewhere in here. I just wish we could have seen it. <laughs> yeah. And I agree a hundred percent. I'm like, it's ju- it just it flat out misses. I don't know why. And I I really I have, do think that like Bradley Cooper is is going to be up for acting. you know acting, and someone's going to be up for cinematography. Apologies, I didn't catch the names, yeah. but maybe Carrie Mulligan too, because boy did she leave she, it all on the floor during that parade scene yeah, especially yeah, yeah and and her convalescence like the the yeah. the sort of end of mm-hmm. end stages of her life which you know again spoiler folks you, oh. you you can do this if you look at wikipedia right she died much before him mm-hmm. cancer claimed her life and so the last you know we see a, a scene towards the or a sequence towards the end of the film that's kind of like those last few months of her mm-hmm. life when the family's with her and I believe that is that when they're are they at the Tanglewood house at that point? Or? I think so. Yeah. Anyway, I think so. I, so I, I hear I hear where you're coming from. I, you know, I will say I started this film once and shut it off. I, I got about thirty minutes into it and I wasn't clicking with it. What it, it, I was, I think I was letting myself get too distracted. So I will say right out front, I think this is a film that for me initially at least suffered somewhat from not seeing it in the theater because mm-hmm. I wasn't focused on it the way that I would like to have been focused mm-hmm. on it. So I kind of, I, I cut myself off. I'm like, okay, I'm not really watching this. But it's starting it again the second time. I watched it yesterday the, straight through. Did um, you start at the beginning? I started at the oh, beginning good, again. Oh, good, good. Okay. And it got me this time. I was giving it my attention more. As I said right before, if I have a point of frustration, it's that it doesn't fill in as many of the details of his Mm -hmm. accomplishments as I would like. Like that first sequence where, you know, we see him getting the call that he's going to because, you know, this famous story is that I believe it was 1945 or he gets called at the last minute to uh, 1943, 43. Thank you. So during World War Two, take the part of conductor for the Philharmonic, even though it was supposed to be this other conductor because he got sick at the last minute. And some, the other person's out of town or something. Right. It's just like it all, it so all came together. We, we get for this luck. quick yeah. call. We get him like jumping out of bed. We get him running through really nice sequence where it's kind of this, you know, they've created this elaborate staged, you know, apartment where they can shoot it from above and kind of get it. And then it opens right out into the concert hall. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of fantasy sequence where he runs out and he's like, you know, almost like naked, you know, having woken up and told that he's going to be have to do this thing with no rehearsal. But then we see him actually take the stage, begin the piece, and then cut to him getting mm-hmm. great applause. So you don't quite get that even establishing of what was it that he did that was all that important. What was, And so for me, I think the first time, at least part of what was missing was I, as somebody who doesn't have the deep background in Bernstein, don't really understand why this is all that important and why... Now, once I got over that hump and I just kind of accepted, look, I need to, I'll do the reading yeah, after. I will, I will assume that he's worthy of this kind of attention. Once I got into the dynamics of their relationship and I let that kind of be the guiding piece of it, 
then I think there is something interesting here because it was a very unique relationship that they attempted to have and that I guess in some sense they successfully had, but obviously not without a lot of strife because, you know, she enters the marriage, at least the way it's depicted here, knowing full well that he is bisexual and that he is going to want to carry on side relationships. Now, the film seems to show us mostly men, but from what I understand, in reality, he was actually having relationships with other women at times, too. But regardless, she went into it knowing that and even feeling that, okay, I can make this work. It's like I am am connected enough to this person. As long as you keep it discreet. As as long as the dalliances don't affect our children, affect our life in in a way where there's negativity about it. Right. Well, I think she came from an extremely liberal (laughs) background, and this was very much, um, you know, like, this was very much an era when um, being a communist or being interested in communism and being interested in socialism and, you know, equality for all Mm -hmm. was very hip. You know, the anti-communism parties, you know, out there have always been out there, but it really reached sort of a fever pitch long after Mm. these events. And Mm. so Mm -hmm. I believe that this was very much a part of the liberal New York artsy fartsy community was don't care if you're bisexual. We're very evolved, you know? And so like, especially in the arts in New York. Of course. Yeah, of course. The theater scene that they're part of. San Francisco, as they mentioned several times. And so, yeah, of course, but you know, it doesn't re I think this movie suffers from an assumption that we know as much as Bradley Cooper knows yeah. about all of this. And that was that was the main takeaway that I had was, well, I don't know as much as Bradley Cooper, but he's also been immersed in yeah. this whole thing for how many years? Right. If I, you know, had taken an intensive cooking class at the Cordon Bleu, I'd come back and be like, well, you don't know how to fry an egg. Like, you know, <laughs> what a dummy. You know, I would assume you know how to do all these basics. Like, yeah. I mean, I think that's where other biopics that you've mentioned Walk the Line and Ray, etc. Coal Miner's Daughter yeah. is a great Bohemian. Yeah, they, these they are, do more greatest hits. They, they do, do more building up and showing where they came from, yeah. why they are the way they are, etc. And it, this just jumps right into this is me, jazz hands. Yeah. And it's like, but wait. <laughs> and actually, this is a commentary that should go with the next movie, but I have to say it now because I'm, I'm afraid I'll forget. <laughs> I have the same problem. It's, it's, I feel like both of these movies are showcasing craftsmen at the absolute top notch. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. So it's, of, it's a level of talent that yeah, others don't. A savant like right. yeah. level of talent for whatever it is. And they don't show us any of the work. Right. They don't show right. us, you know, like they don't, um, like you know how uh, Spotlight is a paperwork movie, yeah. as Brandon Taylor calls yeah. it online. It's, you know, or, um, any of these movies, they show you how they got there. They yeah. show you the work. They show you the process. Where to assume it's, he is this much of a savant. And like, why is he a savant? We don't right. know. I mean, just because he got that lucky break and did well. Well, no, a lot had gone on before yeah, that. No, and you're, we don't see any of it. You're right. Like, what was all the hard work? What are, where are the big accomplishments? I mean, the closest we get, we do get, you know, like I said, the, the scene where he has his big moment where he becomes a public celebrity, mm-hmm. where he stands in for the conductor yeah. who's sick and at age 25 at age 25 right and becomes this national name we really don't get the meat of that we just get this happened blip. Mm-hmm. and then later in the film i do think the closest we get to like helping establish his genius as a performer at least or whatever was that uh the piece of the Mahler symphony oh that god he does yes yeah, I, was oh, gonna, I was gonna bring up that scene if nobody else did i mean incredible I you have to wait. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so it's a little frustrating. It's that a it 1973. Takes, it takes that long into the film to get that, but when you do, it is a really, yeah. really beautifully done scene that shows his vivacity, that shows his mastery of Which what he's doing. I haven't done the comparison, but from what I understand, Cooper like on. studied his performance mm-hmm. like I'm rigorously, sure. and re- and it's just it's beautiful, like what what yeah. he's able to do, and it ends with this lovely moment with the two of them yeah. where they kind of have reconciled they've come to this new understanding right yeah. this they've had the turmoil they've had the trouble but they've found a new sort of equilibrium between each other it's a beautiful scene i mean it really is just but you have to wait so long for it and well and it not didn't, done a lot yeah it just didn't feel like it matched any other scene in the movie it felt felt like we were watching 
a lot of great little mo- yeah. little vignettes, little short films because strong in order. It, yeah, I do, it was like they switched editors twelve times in the middle of this or something because it just felt like it was not well, there is, one cohesive. I think there's film. there's intentional tonal shifting that's going on. We haven't talked about. We've mentioned the cinematography, yeah, but we haven't talked about probably the most obviously striking. notable aspect of the cinematography here is the decision to have black and white and color sequences yeah. in the film, right? Where Basically, the stuff that we're seeing that's happening in the 40s and 50s, so the early part of the film, with a bit of an exception, it opens with we're seeing Older. a version of an interview going on with him, which I was believe, I believe was for 60 minutes. Right. It's, he's, he's around 70 years old. Yes. Yeah. So like towards the end of his life, they're recreating this interview. And that kind of becomes the bookend piece of the film where we're going to see the return to that at the end. But after that, we get a long section of the film, almost half of it, where we're just seeing black and white images older depicting the life that he was living in the 40s and 50s, meeting Felicia, starting their relationship, becoming stars, having this great success. Mm-hmm. And it's intentionally, I think, very beautiful, right? Everything oh, it's, is it's all- stunningly beautiful. Some of that black and white camera work, it's Oscar bait beauty. When, when she goes out to meet him at Tanglewood's, this music facility out in the Berkshires, right? That's like... You know, in the summer, um, all these great musicians from New York go out there and they teach and they perform and they do all this stuff. So, you know, he was part of that community. She goes out to meet him in this idyllic, you know, setting. And there's that beautiful scene of them sitting back to back. Yeah. And we're getting them like talking about the closeness, the relationship they're building to, to each other. We see that sort of uh, repeated later in the film, yes. right? This important moment Call when back. they come back together. But that black and white stuff is like, you know, it's the romantic, idyllic period where they're coming up and things are fresh and there's all this hope for they're going to be able to make this unconventional marriage work for each other. And then when we shift to the 60s and 70s and the reality of, okay, we have growing children, we have a guy who, you know, has many, uh, many public figures with that kind of fame and everything, maybe goes a little bit more excessive with their drug use, goes more excessive with or less careful about the relationships. Like Joe said, that kind of agreement to you're going to keep this under wraps becomes a little bit looser, harder. And we see all that turmoil and tumult of the relationship as it goes into that phase in the 60s and 70s. And that's all the color piece, which is still pretty and what i mean don't get me wrong there's some amazing They're production gorgeous, design rich colors in yeah. there and amazing yeah the i don't know if they actually shot in the dakota building where their apartment was oh, okay but where you know the, you've already mentioned the scene during thanksgiving and the macy's thanksgiving day parade mm-hmm. and and snoopy go i mean that's just a beautiful it's great, oh, yeah. and it's just like the mood of that scene. i actually laughed a little bit yeah. i was like this oh, is I too think- serious why am i laughing well, but, but it's totally, it's just, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's you know, like, yeah. It's just, like I said, though, it just feels like there were several different brains working on this movie at yeah. one time. Where, like, I loved, uh, funnily enough, because I hated La La Land with passion. <laughs> I just hated it. But I loved the opening scene. Oh, yeah. With that. The traffic jam. The, with the, f- no, oh, no, 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 I'm, oh. I'm talking about um, um, Maestro. That opening scene where it's the fantastical, oh. it's not real. He's yeah, running yeah, yeah, from yeah, his apartment yeah. to into right. the auditorium. And I was like, oh, we're in La La Land. We'll get some of that. And yeah. I loved it. But I was like, but I hated La La Land. What am I? You know, so and then, you know, that camera work, <laughs> that bird's eye view when she plucks him from the table and they run. Yeah. You know, like all yeah. of these like fantastical shots and everything. But then it stops. Like it doesn't. Intention. I and I just, hear what you're saying. I. I mean, it's. It feels like an abrupt shift in tone, and it mm-hmm. is. I think it's intentional. I know. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's intentional. But I hear why you're saying that doesn't work for you. I guess feel, I just don't understand why. It feels like you're fragmenting why. this life, and it was. And it wasn't a fragment. It was a continuous life. It was yeah. one person. I guess I just don't understand why it just felt too disjointed. It felt like there were several different yeah. movies going on at once. That's yeah, that's my complaint. There's amazing camera work in this film, especially mm-hmm. swooping through the mm-hmm. different yeah. performances. That it's not a one shot. But of him doing the Mahler piece, it's yeah. just there. Incredible. There are several long takes in there, but it's not, yeah, all one. And that we we have to discuss the makeup. Were you all noticing it? Were you 
I was playing is find the makeup a couple of times around the mouth because area it mostly. Because being talked about leading up to but it. But the I old think. man in color yeah. was fantastic. Mm-hmm. The, the, Absolutely. The, the oh, no, I think it was all was done incredible. really well. I mean, none of it none of it came across as like, oh, that's a fake nose. Yeah, but, I forgot about the whole nose controversy as soon as it began, as yeah. soon as the movie really began in earnest. I think ultimately where I'm citing in my agreement of what you're talking about, Emily, is that if the agreement in the relationship from the beginning was that you're allowed to have discreet homosexual encounters, because you're right, David, the any kind of hetero uh, extramarital relationships were not discussed in this right. film. It, it, you know, I'm learning that from you today, if that's the case. If the agreement is that, that you could have these affairs, mm-hmm. and he does, and then she doesn't like it, and then they have 20 minutes of disagreement about it, but they rectify that... Yeah. There are no stakes in this movie for the relationship that we're talking about. It's it's going to be the pressure of fame, and it's going to be this extramarital stuff. Yeah. It happens. It was agreed upon that it could happen. They don't like it for a little while. She doesn't like it, and then she settles on it. Yeah. And that's that's the conflict well, of yeah, the movie. Yeah, I mean, the, like, the re- their real-life story is quite boring. The conflict of it's his career it's- doesn't exist. See, right. But I – okay, but it's in there. It's I mean, it's part of the context, and I think for, for me – I, I understand where you're both coming from. I, I'm not saying that it's invalid. And I think, you know, you can come away from the film feeling that. And I think it's it's valid. To me, though, cl- it was clear enough that the stakes here are that she, yes, intellectually was willing to enter into this relationship. But then the emotional reality of being in a partnership where your partner is a genius musician yeah. who the world adores and has young men showing up at his doorstep. Yeah. To learn from him and to be his, you know, right hand person for right. some period of time that she's going to constantly be kind of in the shadow of that. And as much as she might feel like, OK, well, this thing that I've carved out is enough is the emotional reality of that enough. And I and I, I think it gets back to that idea of like there are lots of things that we may agree to on you know, the premise as it's laid out for us, but then the lived reality of that experience is something different. So to me, that was, and and I think it really came down to the performances. I eventually, and it took me maybe, you know, again, going through that black and white sequence again and kind of really locking into it to feel like, okay, Mulligan is really conveying to me this inner turmoil and what's going on. And then I was, when we hit, and it's, again, that moment with the Mahler piece, where they, they embrace, she tells him he doesn't have hate in his heart after right. that was like this charge that she had, you know, levied at him. And then he is there to support her in her final months and, and they're there together as kind of a family with her. And she has those last moments. I was a wreck. I was, I was crying on my couch there once I had locked into it. I mean, like that, it was Carrie Mulligan ended up being the Felicia character ended up being the heart of the film. And then it's almost like this funny. And I was, and I wanted to bring up with you two. I found it to be like this almost perversely funny coda to the film when you get the later years, like the last decade plus 15 years of his life where she's passed and he's now kind of free to live with more abandon. We see a sequence where he's back. I think it's back at Tanglewood and he's doing some teaching and and this young conducting apprentice or whatever is, you know, sort of getting his attention. Mm -hmm. We see them out dancing at this club. And it's almost like, did you take that to be like a, almost? there was something very... What's the right word? I want to say perverse, but like predatory, predatory. Oh, yeah. like kind of, I mean, he's in the red light and he's got oh, this yeah, like that, that crazy hair, hair yeah. and he just looks like this, you know, and he's the, the old man makeup is in full effect right. and he's just like this, but pre, pre sweaty, movement, tanned, pre- leathery, <laughs> yeah. you know, music God. I, he, I'm and, like, get, and can get whatever he wants. I kind of wanted like another scene where it was like, he got even more. <laughs> <laughs> but but they get, that's as far as they take it. And then we get to the 60 minutes. Yeah, I feel it is the deficient story here, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, but the visuals of this deficient story are well worth a view. It's on Netflix. Watch yeah. it. Watch, yeah, it. watch on a, it on a night where you you know don't have other appointment yeah. viewing. It's not and- a bad movie. No. It's just, it's, it, I think it suffers from a couple of different things. You know, one, the assumption that we know more about Leonard mm-hmm. Bernstein than that we, didn't, than that, that didn't bother me do. as much as it did you two. I'll say that. Well, yeah. and then secondly, I just think the script was weak, weak, yeah. weak, weak. Script and story. Yeah, biopics are. I feel like we, this could be a beer in a movie T-shirt. Maybe, maybe this will show up in the T Public store at some point. But uh-huh. you know, like biopics are a tricky genre to pull off. You're always having to decide what to include, mm-hmm. what to cut, what are the essential pieces of a person's life. And I personally think 
that you're almost always better off not doing the greatest hits route with some rare exceptions. And I'm certainly happy with some of the performances in those films. Like Walk the Line, I would consider a little bit more of a greatest hits Mm -hmm. of, you know, like let's get these high points of Johnny Cash's career along with this important love story that Mm -hmm. he has. But generally, I like it more when they find a pocket of time. I'm not even this approach that Maestro takes, which is Maestro is really let's focus more on the love relationship that he had with this, you know, one important yeah, person. Maestro spans 50 years. Yeah. And you're um, talking about like, let's take a chapter and yeah, dive it into Let's dive that. in, which is kind of more where we're, we're heading with in the our second, second half. Absolutely. Not saying I necessarily like that film better, but I'll, I'll we'll certainly talk more about why I might like that approach better. But. Before we get there, I mean, it seems like kind of going around, I'm the highest on this film. I do think this is definitely worth your time. It sounds like both of you say it's worth time, yeah. but maybe has some flaws that, that keep it from being the if fully If this realized. wins Best Picture, I would be disappointed. Uh, I don't and, think it would. And I would see the game I, that's I being can't. played. Yeah, I agree 100%. I, just, I, I didn't dislike I wouldn't be it. surprised, but I'd be disappointed. Yeah. No, I, I would be surprised. I mean, I really do think that somewhere there's some integrity. <laughs> Well, I'll put twenty dollars down right now that Killers of the Flower Moon will win Best Picture. I'm not even yep. saying that it should. Yeah. I'm just saying that that's what's going to win. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I say that in January. Yeah. Early, early January. Yeah. Well, in early January of last year, I would have never predicted that in early January of this year we would be talking about one of our favorite breweries closing its doors, and yet here we are on the doorstep, on the precipice. Of a world without ingenious brewing. Condolences, guys. Yeah, well, (laughs) thank you, Emily. They really are. I mean, I can't help but feel a very deep attachment to this. This was a brewery that early on in the podcast became a favorite. I think what we bonded over in some ways. We yeah. all really enjoyed whatever we could get our hands on from there. And at the very beginning days of the podcast, it was difficult to get in Corpus Christi. Yeah, right. And so it was always muled down or someone yeah. would make a special drive. Yeah. So, you know, that that we could get it here for a while and that they were, you know, cranking out what they could. But we understand. I mean, that their story is like the story of many other, not just breweries, many other small businesses uh, in the early 2020s. The impacts of the pandemic and just having to shift around and kind of figure things out. It was a tough thing to do. And I think in, you know, in the craft beer industry more specifically, um, I think you're, you're also dealing with just trends, you know, kind of uh, those cycles that we have that are even, you know, apart from any pandemic hitting us, we're going to have these fluctuations in popularity of various things. And that all said, you know, we'll probably talk about it more in the coming weeks because we just can't help ourselves. But, you know, the beer in my glass today that I was drinking during our discussion of Maestro Another excellent beer from Ingenious. Yeah. Just exactly what I want in a in a nice crisp Pilsner. I, you know, it, it, again, I the, the, no notes. Ingenious, thank you. Das crisp. I mean, this is a textbook mm. Pilsner. It is so crisp and clean and sweet and just but not just, too sweet. Just hoppy enough, and yeah. I would gladly drink a few more of those and. Uh, when the microphones go off today, David, and I finally give you your Christmas present, you will enjoy two more of these. <laughs> oh, I love that. All right. Well, we are just getting started with. Uh, well, wait. We did have the setup of a second beer from Bravas uh, after our experience with the oatmeal. Yeah, we chose alcohol. You're choosing no alcohol. Emily, how did the Bravas orange, blood orange IPA work out for you? I am loving this. It's really tasty. The nose is amazing. Definitely blood orange. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. It smells mm. great. It's very, very. It's very smooth. Very love good. It. Yeah, love I'm it. really loving I'm going to have another one. Yeah. No, I think it, citrus incorporated into an IPA is kind of a no-brainer. I mean, wh- one of my very favorite first fruit beer experiences before I even, you know, thought like fruit and beer was acceptable was uh, having a grapefruit IPA mm-hmm. and, that, and that went really well. But I've had, you know, blood orange is a beautiful uh, choice. Orange itself. Too, so. Yeah, no, it's very tasty. Um, it's surprisingly smooth. For an IPA, I don't normally think of an IPA as being as smooth as this. Joe setting me up with a little pour myself. I don't know why we didn't pour ourselves a little bit. Well, the little mini glasses were not around. Isn't that good? I I like the nose. It it really makes me think IPA Mm -hmm. with orange, for sure. Blood orange. That's not bad for a non That is, beer, that is yeah. nice. I like that. I could really eas- I could easily oh, yeah. have like three more of these at Book This tastes great. I know. All right. Bravis is yeah. uh is, is proving themselves Bravo to Bravis. be some Yes. I mean, this is up there with that athletic hazy IPA mm-hmm. that they have. And th- this one isn't necessarily a hazy, but it mm-hmm. it's got that flavor, the really citrus forward uh 
IPA. I like this. This is great. Me too. I'm very impressed. Athletic Brewing Free Wave that we did on episode 214. That was their hazy. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah. All right. Well, fun stuff. All the flavor, none of the booze. (laughs) Right. All the flavor, none of the booze. All the composer, none of the music. (laughs) All the composer, none of the work. (laughs) And uh, in the second half, we're going to be doing all the auto racing, none of the two objects being in the same place at the same point in time. (laughs) Never. When we get back. Exciting times, folks. Again, award season upon us. More beer to get in our glass. Joe, what do you have in that can? Okay, so I went to Umble, right, to go to uh, Ingenious. But the night before, I found myself in Montgomery, Texas, just northwest a little bit of Houston, near Lake Conroe. And I Googled craft beer. And I found a little local craft brewery called Frankenbolts. Frankenbolts. There are four Z's on the end in the four name. Four Z's. Four Z's. I was like, oh, that's a no. lot of Z's. I got to go check this thing out. It is a Frankenstein. Is this beer that's going to put me to sleep? It's, it might. It might. Let me let me start with the ABV, David. This is a 12.6. Oh! Whoa. This is called their Excalibolts. Four Z's. Uh, Knights of the Franken Brews American Golden Stout, because we're going to have that conversation again. Mm-hmm. Condition on Trace Leche's cake. Jeez. Happy New Year, guys. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I, maybe we can just open one and see if we need to open that second one, David. But okay. okay. I found at Frankenbolts right there north of Montgomery uh, the friendliest brewery I have ever been to. Oh. Ch- met Chuck Coleman's, the owner. He on his website he says at the end of 2019 Chuck had a bit of a midlife crisis and his quote unquote Ferrari was to start a brew pub and by the end wow. we were hugging look at that look at that we were hugging everybody tell me okay now, first of all it's a golden stout conversation David is yeah. that even a real style <laughs> I I talked to the staff and the, the other patrons there about our golden stout journey uh-huh. and uh, we haven't done one in a long time so I figured immediately a golden stout flavored with tres leches cake tres leches cake that, that is mm. exciting well thank you Joe you're and welcome. you're right that is like that is one of those old uh, beer in a movie uh, conundrums that that we you know introduced many many episodes how ago. can it be called a stout and be that color David right it right. looks like a <laughs> delicious IPA color but no if they're calling it a stout they're trying to duplicate all the flavors and now, I always try to when we have one of these I always try to close my eyes and get the aroma without the influence of seeing right the color are of the they beverage. going in the right direction and it definitely you know I'm getting chocolate on the nose I'm, I'm getting a little bit of a roasty character so it's got some uh, I don't know if I would have called it a stout right out of the gate, but I, th- aroma-wise, I'm I'm partway there. Okay. So I'm excited. Well, let's sip on this while we talk about our second biopic. That's right. So we have another 2023 biopic. In this case, uh, the film is Ferrari. It is made by Michael Mann, director who has brought us many films over the years of high regard, Heat being one of them, Thief with James Caan, Collateral, The Insider. Collateral, right. And even in the biopic realm, Ali. That's right. Which we, that's the only other Michael Mann film that we've done on the show before right. today. Right. But here we have him taking on, uh, the figure of Enzo Ferrari, who started his career as an auto racer himself, eventually working into, uh, creating a car company that also had a very prominent racing team along with his wife and where we see in this film is kind of this important moment uh, in his life in the summer of 1957, where the company, Ferrari, is struggling. They're still a very small car company. What were they producing? A hundred cars a year? Is that was one of the, the things I was? noted was that when they need to expand yeah. in the They're film. They're talking about going from a hundred to four hundred To four hundred <laughs> Ferrari. They have to sell four hundred Ferraris to stay And how solvent. are we going to sell that many? And now, you know, it, so, I was amazed by the low numbers that they were doing in, right. in sales back when they right. were also rich and yeah. you know, glamorous. So this incredible moment where, the, you know, the company is under some some strain to, to have to produce some more income really because not because necessarily they're uh they're unsuccessful in what they sell what they produce they sell 
but he's running an auto racing team that's so expensive right. that it needs that funding. So, so he's on this kind of precipice of needing to make a business decision, most likely having to partner with some other bigger company. Ford gets mentioned a lot, Fiat. Um, another Italian manufacturer. Right. Also, of course, we have, you know, that, that relationship with his wife, who's also his business partner, Laura Ferrari, uh, here played by Penelope Cruz. Beautifully. There's yeah. no other way to have Penelope Cruz yeah. in a movie, <laughs> which, but it's always funny, like, you know, again, going into it, I'm like, so she's going to be the wife who he's kind of not interested in anymore. How does that work? No. Right. Um, but but their their relationship and where it stands. Well, their at this relationship under strain because they had lost a son uh, about well, a year before. That's right, lost their son to um, muscular dystrophy, she, and she knows he has affairs, let's say, but doesn't realize the profound relationship that he has with a particular woman in this it's case. It's fairly typical, you know, sort of European, mm, just, you can do what you want. Just well, don't, she gives the same, don't parade it around publicly. But he, he get a little more serious with this one. Yeah, she, she, yeah. Exactly. she gives the same talk that uh, Mulligan gave in Maestro. I knew the arrangement and just mm-hmm. keep it discreet. Yeah. yeah. Say, I thought that was fascinating in two movies that we're doing. It's very this continental. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> these big, powerful men, uh, who, who, who right. get to kind of massive uh, egos and narcissists. Yeah. But, you know, here, Shailene Wood, uh, Woodley playing Lena, um, the, the other woman in his life who he has a child with, right. who, who uh, Laura, the Penelope Cruz character, is not aware of. So that's another big conflict that's going on in this film. And, of course, the racing team itself mm-hmm. and the fact that at least as uh, – I guess that's the, the guy who gives him that speech towards the beginning. I'm guessing that's somebody in, you know, his, uh, his accounting realm mm-hmm. there that, like, basically, listen, your hope is you have your team successful – that gives you the cachet to be able to pull in the funding you need to expand your business operations, and then you're going to be right. able to help, you know, keep funding your team and do all do right. all that stuff. But if you don't win, that's not going to. I, I know yeah. nothing about car racing, but in the film, it's presented that the Maserati company, yeah, and his company have the exact same stakes, yeah, and that is we must win this very prestigious cross country race, and whoever wins that race would would the, easily be the able mille to mille. Get, yeah, mille yeah. Mille, thank yeah. you, be, easily <laughs> be able to get funding uh, for expansion and right. growth. Um, and I and if I haven't mentioned already, I think I didn't. Uh, Adam Driver here is Good playing Lord. our uh, main character Enzo Ferrari, hot on the heels of his uh, portrayal of uh, another Italian luminary, mm-hmm. right, with the House of Gucci just a few years mm-hmm. ago. All right, I've laid I've laid out the cards here, folks. We, we, we we've just seen a second biopic. I think it was a Christmas Day release movie yeah. this year. Um, Something like that. Wh- what did you all think? Uh, I want to say, first of all, that I immediately went home and turned on Heat. Began watching <laughs> yeah. Heat. I needed to bulk up again on my Michael Mann that it's I know on my is list now. Yeah. beloved by all. Heat is one of those that gets mm-hmm. a lot of heat. The storytelling film-wise in this film is so straightforward. But then Michael Mann does a dozen times these little artistic shots and pops i guess just to remind us that he's at the helm is that how you take it how so? you don't think it's in service uh, uh not necessarily can you remember a moment yes, that stood out to you there that was a, a a shot that doesn't match like i said the straightforward storytelling uh-huh. of uh the camera low inside grass yes with the sunlight mm, uh, right. up above uh-huh. and it's just a sh- it's just a shot that's artistic that doesn't really match the rest of the style mm-hmm. but we're going to pop that in mm-hmm. that's the first one that leaps to mind yeah. Yeah. Give me a second. I'll think of a few. Was more. that when he was meeting up with the boy then? I think was so. That, yes. I think there was a, a toy. I think that was like the idyllic, like uh, sure. you know, hit him with his, fa- sure. his family. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But otherwise, no, the story, the storytelling, as far as the filmmaking goes, is very straightforward. To an extent, I mean, I agree with you. I and do. the racing scenes are dramatic and, and exciting and awesome. I mean, man's a stylist of, of sorts. He's he's one of great restraint, I think, in a lot of ways. Like, I don't think you, you have a lot of, like, shots that you would think of as, like, show-offy shots. Though I do agree that there are moments where, like, okay, you, you've chosen an interesting angle here. Where, yeah. You know, what you're doing something. Or, or, or the film rests on an image for 15 seconds with no dialogue. I mean, just... yeah. No, he, uh, he likes okay. mood. He likes yeah. to set mood. He likes to set mood. And I think part of that is like there's a calmness and a coolness to his films in general. Like he tends to take on these characters who I think of as very, at least the surface is very a hard veneer to get through. Come on. Ferrari? Well, I'm talking about Ferrari, but I'm also talking about Collateral. I'm okay. talking about Thief. I'm talking about, like, in general, my, even Ali in, in uh, Michael Mann's uh, I, Ali film. I think he often presents as characters who 
Appropriately so, I think people with their shields up to a yeah. certain extent. Like, this is my cool veneer that I present to the world. And I think for a character like Enzo Ferrari, who in some ways, I mean, at least the brand that he helped launch so is much kind so, of the epitome of coolness. Mm-hmm. So much so, I did notice that uh, he broke his cool a couple times, mostly with his son. Right. Where he'd actually play or laugh yeah. or, you know, yeah. otherwise he was, yeah, you're right, shields up all mm-hmm. of the time. I thought it was more successful in telling a fairly complicated story. There are a lot of little mini stories within yeah. the within the film. It's not just one story. There's um, the family drama. There's the son. There's the wife. Those are two different stories. I right. mean, they can be one. But then there's the car company. Then there's the um, his mother. Then there's yeah. the race. The racers. The, 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 the racers. Yeah. yeah. You even get to know almost every single one of his racers. You're like, how do you do this in just two hours? I mean, it's a very economical <laughs> yeah. storytelling yeah. style, and I love it. He gives you a ton of information and resolves it, and the movie ends, and I'm happy. Mm-hmm. This is what didn't happen in my Do you think he's at an advantage? Of this? So let me – because I hear where you're coming from, and I do – I like this film. I, th- I think it's mm-hmm. good. And it does take that preferred route that I, I was talking about in the first half as we were leading into the second half saying – I like it when a biopic decides just to let's look at a really critical yeah. moment mm-hmm. in the character's this life. This is the summer of 1957. Right. That's what the, it's a very short window of time. Yeah. But in that short window of time, so many aspects of Ferrari's life are coming to a head. Yeah. And I don't know if it was, um, I mean, I don't know if they combined several real life times. If into, it was compressed into, into making yeah, it the compressed best. into this sure. one crazy summer, right, right. you know. But <laughs> so, wait, was John Cusack in this? I one? know exactly one crazy summer. He might have been one of the drivers because Patrick Dempsey was. <laughs> That's Good true. Lord, we did have some icon was, in man. Here, yeah. does, and I have to say, mid-century Italian men's hair is my jam. Know, Look at those I finger know. waves. I was oh. just no, I, but, but, uh, Patrick Dempsey was playing an American. No, uh, no, he was no, he's playing. Okay, yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. That's just my whole assessment. I, I was shocked at how much I really, really liked it. And the more time that goes on, the more I'm like, I have to go see it again. I really liked it. <laughs> oh, there so was there was one part where I almost threw up. Yeah. In the theater. Oh, oh the crash. Woof. Yeah. Oh. That's intense. And it is so different than the rest of the movie. And and you kind you know it's coming. So to explain that race that they that they must win in order to get this financing. Okay, the Mille Milia is an endurance motorsport yeah it's it's not a road rally i mean i guess you could call it a road rally in the strictest sense i mean it's mm-hmm. a long form race right and whoever reaches the end you know it's, it's endurance a, it's a thousand miles a yeah, mille, 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 yeah it's yeah. yeah a thousand miles and it's uh endurance of driver endurance of car endurance right. of tires right yeah ding, ding. and i enjoyed yeah. the drama yeah. of that race yeah in that um, Maserati loses a car because mm-hmm. everyone yeah. can uh, enter up to four two. cars five. and there's four different four, four or five different cars. Yeah. Five, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, the the little uh, Formula One type style, the the two person car, mm-hmm. and so as the driver makes a mistake or mm-hmm. the car itself fails, you're, you're eliminating and whoever yeah. is there at the end. Yeah, gets to who, who, survival of the <laughs> fittest, basically. And yeah, it's a very long and windy mm-hmm. you know situation. And like all- the, it's a long form. Like, like, um, there's another one, Nurburgring, that's a really long one. And so these are all just, I only, my entire motorsport knowledge comes from my son playing Forza. That's okay. all. Yeah. I've watched him play all these, like, mine very was, long races. Mine so. was my son playing Grand Theft Auto. Okay. So. <laughs> well, slightly different. Yeah, get into the mille mille. <laughs> Lots of hookers. Lots yeah. of hookers. Not as many, yeah. I mean, that we know of. So, um, <laughs> although he does get accused of whoring around. <laughs> what, what will happen then is as a... If you're a city that this race yeah. is going through, you you might line the city streets downtown, right. separated from the cars with a few hay, well, hay it's bales. The same thing. I mean, people are probably more familiar with the Tour de France, the bicycle right. race, sure, and right. and when the Tour de France comes through, mm-hmm. all you know these hundreds of bikes come through. Everyone's off to the side cheering people sure. on, and they see it zip by, and that's that's their that's experience. It. Yeah, but like stores close, or rather stores open to you know for the race yeah. or whatever. And it's the same thing, but in these small little. Hamlets, I guess you would say, just right. group, you know, outside of town, groupings. in a country that is very excited about this sport. Yeah, yeah. So, but when a bicycle crash occurs, yeah. it doesn't mow down 
dozens of people. There is a scene, the one you're referring to, Emily, that does come out of nowhere, and it is a true story. There's very little warning. Yeah. Yeah, no, I had to look it up later, and I was horrified. So there's a cluster of homes that are next to one another, and they know the race is coming by, so they're just standing there, Mm -hmm. and then there was a horrific crash, and then the car just blows through the entire crowd. Mm -hmm. And then not only do you see that happen, but then you see, like, the carnage with the ambulances later. Oh, I almost, yeah, I can't. Half of human bodies just scattered no, all it, over the it's, grass. It's incredibly graphic. It's intense. I yeah. almost I almost can't even uh-huh. discuss it. It's yeah. it's that was the one thing I didn't think it needed to be so graphic. And I'm not being, you know Yeah. I'm not being school marmish about it or anything. I can handle a little bit sure. of blood and stuff. But that it was, was it was pretty intense. Horrifying. I hear where you're coming from and it does not fit the tone of the rest of the film for sure. But it I think it was very yeah, it was very off Key, yeah, I, th- I if think that makes sense. Where where it did have some, there was some logic behind having it in there. Is that he does talk throughout the film with the racers and others about the stakes involved mm-hmm. and how it is like. And he had lost close friends in his racing career. And I think yes, you can hear a character say that, and there's like, okay, yeah, people die in racing. But then to see in such graphic detail, it's sort of just you can't leave the film feeling like anything like, oh my God, what these people do, especially in that era. I mean, mm-hmm. th- how about racing with open top vehicle? I know, right? <laughs> Just, yeah, I mean, there's barely a helmet. Yeah, absolutely nothing. Yeah, barely no a helmet, a leather, a leather jacket. Yeah. The British the biggest, guys, the British guys in a navy blue sweater. The biggest I mean, concern that Tarufi zero. has is that there needs to be an ashtray mm-hmm. in his yeah. racer. Yeah. <laughs> I think that my problem with that horrific scene is that the stakes are given and then just quickly sewn up. And as I feel with the first film, the stakes in this movie are the exact same thing. The the family aspect of it mm. is. Penelope Cruz tells her husband at the very beginning when she shoots mm-hmm. at a wall near him <laughs> with a gun. Very tense. It's a great way to introduce the, the mother that lives <laughs> there. I, I know that you're whoring around or whatever. I know that you're extramaritaling affairing, but at the same <laughs> you time... You need to be here before breakfast. Yeah. yeah the, <laughs> the, the agreement, agreement was... was yeah. yeah. And then when he is exposed, okay, so my favorite part of the film is a narcissist. This is my, you know, armchair analysis. Mm -hmm. A narcissist watching all of his shit kind of fall apart Mm -hmm. while having to remain cool because the investors need you to be cool Mm -hmm. and your wife needs you to be cool and your mistress needs you to be cool, but it's all falling apart. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed that aspect of it very much. Yeah, and I think Adam Driver played it very well. I thought Adam Driver did a great job here. Yeah, just the the frustration, you could see it in the veins of his face. He wasn't, he was, as you say, so cool, so calm, so collected, but everything's falling apart around him and he needs to scramble. Yeah. The movie suffered for me because I know that Ferrari still exists. So mm. I know that oh, well, the, yeah. what the end so the, is. So the stakes don't feel yeah, quite the, as Not extreme. for me as but the viewer. It, but no, I mean, it could have been the fa- <clears throat> it could have been more along the lines of they merged with Ford and now Ford owns 90% of Ferrari. You know what I mean? So like, But, but so, all of those stakes are laid out and then yeah. kind of summed up. Yeah. And then we're got a nice little bow, yeah. and I never felt that there was a huge amount of conflict. I figured that everything we're seeing is going to get worked out. Mm. That, that I knew. Interesting, yeah. I and thought it was real. You know what I thought was the most? Um, but Penelope Cruz's performance, by the way, yeah. just incredible. Her performance, mm-hmm. uh, Shailene Woodley, a little. But maybe, I actually didn't mind her. Maybe almost miscast, but I don't I mean. I didn't mind can't her. Can't think of a better phase. I didn't mind her, and she's on a very short list of of female actors that I'm. Not a huge fan of like if they're uh-huh. in it, I'm like, okay, I guess. But yeah. I, I didn't mind her. I think though the most chilling part of the movie, I don't want to say chilling, that means the stakes are way too high. But I thought the thing that really kind of stopped me in my tracks was the scene where she hands him where Penelope Cruz hands Adam Driver the envelopes of cash. Yeah. Says, I'm gonna save you, basically. Yeah. But you can never acknowledge you cannot him give. While I'm alive, you cannot give right. your, give him your name. the son yeah. with the lover our uh, name. Our name until I, I while while I'm alive, right. and I just and I thought she really played that ace of yeah. her sleeve. <laughs> and she you was, watch him rattle through like the decision tree in his mind, yeah. and then he of course agrees yeah. to it because he needs that mm-hmm. the money that she's offering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's crazy story. Talking I'm, about it now, I'm getting even more jazzed. I, yeah. I definitely say you should see Ferrari. Mm-hmm. I would say yeah. it's okay to wait until streaming. It's it's interesting. I Oh, I, do, I wouldn't. 
okay. I would say theater a hundred percent because of the car of the, stuff. Oh god, yeah. the racing scene. It's about yeah. fifteen minutes, but it makes all the difference. You would have to see it on the largest screen possible, not IMAX or anything right, crazy, right. because it's not that kind of a racing movie. Right. But you really should see. I mean, the cars are glorious. They are. They're the design glorious. is just amazing, and that whole mid-century mm-hmm. Euro style is just there's nothing else on earth like it yeah maybe the stingray years here compare a little yeah Mm -hmm. but nothing touches ferrari not even maserati i'm sorry there's just there was no there was no beauty like a ferrari in that so i'm not even a huge car person but i at least know at least i know yeah i I don't think you need to be a car person to appreciate how these Mm -hmm. cars look they they just are beautiful objects Mm and i agree i I think this is one that you should see in the theater if you can just for the racing i think it's for racing i don't think it's going to charge up a lot of audiences if only because it has that kind of coolness to it which i think is the appropriate tone here and again i think that's part of what man brings to a lot of projects is he shows us people under pressure and how they're able to operate under that Mm -hmm. pressure and still kind of maintain that cool veneer. So it fits with his filmography that way. But it's not a film that people are, it's like Ali was to a certain extent. I mean, another biopic of his that we really liked, but that I think all of us agreed, like we understood why audiences weren't set on fire for it. You know what? In that one, it's probably more glaring because we have this figure who's like a huge American pop culture figure who was sort of larger than life and charismatic in a way that you want to see come across on the screen. And there were moments of that with Smith in that film, but a lot of it was much more subdued. Mm. And I think this, with it being a character who's a little more remote, maybe we give it, as American audiences, we're able to give it a little bit of a break, but I don't know that it's going to excite people about Ferrari as a figure if you don't already have something I completely agree. I think that the car groups went to go see it opening weekend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Folks that have a genuine love of yeah. an interest mm-hmm. in this topic. But otherwise, is Adam Driver a draw as a leading man the way... God, I can't even think of a different... Yes. Sh- Timothy yes. Chalamet? Very, very few, yeah. Oh no, God. I'm talking about as far as getting asses in the seats. I don't know that Adam Driver does that just because it's Adam Driver. I think I think he does, but okay. he's okay. also my boyfriend. So I, I <laughs> is support, that right? I support is him whatever... Is Adam Driver your hall pass? Yes. This is a uh, conversation that's uh, been coming <laughs> up lately. <laughs> no. So I support him whatever he does. So oh, Nice. Well, I'm, I'm an Adam Driver fan, uh, even though I have my moments where I'm like, eh, this isn't the best project, but I mean, obviously, I'm a big Annette fan. Um, well, you know, I appreciate what he did in Marriage Story, even if I didn't love that film. Oh, I liked that, and, and I even liked House of Gucci more than most people. I so, did not. He, you know, that I, I have a lot of love for him, and I do. I agree. He does a great job here. Cruz does a great job. Woodley, I'm, I'm kind of more on the fence with. Sure. Where I, I think what Joe said, I, I can understand. Like, I don't know if that was the best casting move, but she does well enough that I, I didn't hate anything that was it, but. It, I didn't get drawn to the character. It's a worthwhile venture. I just, you know, it's interesting that, you know, this is a, I think it was a $95 million budget. Um, yeah. It made a, made I, a tenth of that. I or don't a third think it's going to, I don't Such think it's going to be a success. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's one of those, um, I mean, it's more of a vanity project mm-hmm. in certain ways. And that mm-hmm. I think this is man using his clout to be able to get this project that he's been working on for, I guess, 20 years yeah, now. Yeah, time. Bale was supposed to be in here mm. as Ferrari at one point. Hugh Jackman, I think. Was well, that would be two attached. Ferrari movies that Christian Bale is in. That's not acceptable. <laughs> That's right. We got to take him out. But, you know, so it's a project that went through many different phases as it was gestating. And to get to here, and part of it, I think, also was budget. He was never able to get the money that he thought would be needed to film it the way that he wanted to. Right. And I guess he finally did. But I just, you know, there's part of me that wonders, okay, putting that kind of money into a project like this what does that mean? I mean, for a guy like man, it may mean, well, he's going to make heat too. So we, (laughs) so we know he's still going to have another film coming and that he can kind of trade on the success of that film. But can a young filmmaker come out and make a film like this? Hell no. This Mm -hmm. isn't something that anybody other than somebody at the sort of twilight of their career, who's had the successes they've had and established themselves where they have be able to make on on that. And we've seen so many filmmakers do the exact same thing. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, shame anyone, but you know, (laughs) I mean, Steven Spielberg at Alia, you know, they all, they all have, you could probably run down their filmography and, Find and, the ones and that are like, okay, that, off the ones that, that's like, one you got to do was, because you really mm-hmm. wanted to, but yeah. This is the one you did. You, this is the one you got to do because you did like the fifth 
Indiana Jones, you know, whatever. And so <laughs> right. I think, though, something that is important to note, because I'm not sure if they were necessarily marketed. Well, first of all, where's the marketing for, yeah. for I mean, the I, trailer saw, was I saw showing plenty. before films. I saw plenty. I saw the trailer 12 times. Did you? Minimally. It was, it, was, it was in heavy rotation there. Well, well, we go to a lot of films. <clears throat> yeah, but I mean, I just, maybe our algorithms are completely different, <laughs> but it just, I saw Ferrari a few times and in my feed and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And I saw Zip about Maestro. And I, so I think that with the lack of in-your-face marketing that I feel like a lot of other biopics got. Let's pick on Walk the Line again. Yeah. You know, people had practically seen the whole movie before <laughs> they ever went to see the movie. Yeah. And this one, I think it's interesting because I wonder if it was done on purpose, mainly because what I was surprised to find out walking in, well, walking out rather, is that I wasn't watching a movie about their life's work this goes back to my comment before Mm -hmm. is like these are savants these are you know at the top of their game and they're you know doing amazing work and what we do not see is any of the work what we see is domestic dramas so they weren't marketed as such as far as i am aware they're marketed as like here's the biopic for Leonard Bernstein. And here's the biopic for Enzo Ferrari. But it's not. Yeah. It's their domestic well, dramas. Well, the Ferrari trailers that, that existed were much more focused on the action of the yeah. racing mm-hmm. and, and, yeah. and the photography. You know, and the a few shots of Penelope Cruz crying. I mean, you sure. knew there was going to be more than. I mean, yeah, you got some you... human drama in there. But mm-hmm. it was a lot about like, look, you're going to see a movie about sports cars. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not about sports cars. It's about this marriage and his second family. That's what it's about. Right. You and get legacy and yeah. all that. Yeah. You yeah. get 15 to 20 minutes of great racing. Yeah. The rest of it is all domestic drama and like business business drama. Yeah. It was going to be that or color purple. And we'll talk about all of the how we made that decision in after hours. Yeah. Uh, David, you and I. So both, much stuff out. You right. and I saw color purple. So maybe we could even do a review or discuss if we're going to actually do that film do it in on the future. Yeah. yeah. We'll have to figure that out. There's a lot to talk about. There always is. There always is. But. Before we get to that after hours, we need to spill beer on your console, Joe. No, uh, we, we need, right on the mixer, David. It's, <laughs> we need to talk about this one. beer that Kidding. you brought to us all the way from Old Town Spring, Texas. Yeah. This brewery that we had never had before. Frankenbolts. Frankenbolts. The friendliest brewery in Texas. I'm nominating it. it uh-huh. I, I was, we were hugging when it was over. <laughs> uh, they're podcast listeners now. I'm, oh, super. And, and we did, I, once they learned kind of, you know, we're out of towners and we'd never been there before, they just like started handing out tastes of every single nice. thing on tap. It was, they really, you know, they wanted, it was great. Well, I, that, I, if you're in that area, and here's the thing, David, I'm not saying if you're in Austin, if you're in Houston, and there's there's a chance you could be if you are in uh, North Houston by an hour, yeah, uh, and uh, near the you know Montgomery, Texas area, and you can go to Frankenbolts before we talk about this beer, yeah. L- let me suggest you you do that. Yeah, I bought this beer because it was the Golden Stout. Yeah, I, I had a choice. This is the yeah. one I went with. Not just a Golden Stout, but I mean, really, and I guess they're not calling it this, but I would say an Imperial. An American Golden Stout, they call 12. it. 12.8. But, but this is 12.8. That is like, that's almost beyond <clears throat> Imperial. That's just, you know, insanity. Right. Um, you know, I said before I even took a sip, I was smelling some of that chocolatiness on the nose. I guess maybe even some of that Trace Leche's sweetness. Oh, yeah. And I'm definitely getting it in the flavor. Uh, it's a, it's got a nice, robust mouthfeel to it. it does. We haven't trotted that term out in a while, but it's, you know, it's a viscous drink to have here. I'm pretty impressed with what they're doing. I love hearing that they're so friendly because I think they make pretty good beer. This is not. This is too sweet. This is not my everyday beer. No. But for a golden stout, an imperial golden stout, this really kind of does something fun. This is too sweet. And I bought a four pack of 16s. So I've got a ton of it. But if I'm at the brewery, I would definitely get a glass of this. This is a good four ounce pour, six ounce pour kind of situation. I agree. I don't want. 16 ounce can all to myself of this right he he has a milk stout up on the tap line right now i'm checking the uh yeah i'm trying to, to get the name, the name of, of that it. one stormy was. night okay. okay milk chocolate pepper stout i didn't read the pepper part but a, a, a milk stout it yeah. was you know it's 10.8 I, I got one of those i was like whoa 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 it's fire he goes 
Yeah, we put some Carolina Reapers in there. And you can tell there is a madhouse experimentation going on there. But the Carolina beers, Reapers? But the beers themselves were were all yeah. wonderful. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. It wasn't so much heat that I couldn't enjoy. It was just that kick in the back okay, of your throat okay. when it's going down with the milk chocolate in there. But no, I, I enjoy this. I love that we had another chapter on our Golden Stout. It's still not a real style, David. I'm, I'm going to be very firm I don't about know. When that. I, when I have one like this, I'm like, what else am I going to classify this as? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's we could go with maybe some kind of strong ale yeah. kind of situation. But it really does have like a more roasted malty flavor than a strong ale does. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm definitely somebody who kind of rides that fence where like I don't know that we need golden stouts, but occasionally I'll have one like this and I'll say, okay, I see why you need to call it that. And I think for some people this is going to be a great find. For some, it may be uh, like me, like this is one where if I was in the tap room and I had that, I'd be like, oh, that's really nice. Okay, I'm impressed you guys pulled that off. Next. And, you know, and let's Mm -hmm. what what do you have in the lager situation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, Frankenbolds out of uh, Montgomery, Texas. I think I'm putting more Z on it than they do when they say the name. But did they they say anything about why they added the extra Z's? Did they? No. No. Okay. They did. Interesting. They did. Because after you have two or three of these uh, 12.8, you you just take a nap. <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, nice meeting them, and I'm glad we could do them on the program. Thank you so much, Emily, for coming back. I know of it. Always fun. You gonna hang around for after hours? Sure. Wonderful. Yay. Call well, purple versus Ferrari coming up soon. <laughs> and, and and you know you're gonna hear all about it because we don't just end the conversation here with the main episodes. The conversation continues. You can find us on social media. We're there on all the regular spots, Facebook and Instagram, of course. You can go to our website, beerandamoviepodcast.com. We have some nice curated lists of our episodes. And Joe, I think, is going to overhaul some stuff there soon. Soon, So so keep your eyes on that. Um, You may see some fun new stuff appear there. We have our tea public store, uh, a link to that, where you can go and get various forms of merch. And if you'd like, you can join our chat on Discord. We call ourselves Beer in a Movie. The conversation continues there, and you would just ask us for an invite, and we'll, we'll get that to you, and you can join us. We're going to extend this conversation today ourselves and our Patreon subscriber-only After Hours bonus episode, so please sign up at patreon.com slash beer in a movie podcast. And we know you're probably listening on your favorite podcast platform, but before you leave, won't you please rate us and leave a review? We hope you'll make it five stars so that the algorithm can do what it do and put us out there as an option for more listeners. You've just experienced another biographically uh, motivated episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time. Two objects cannot occupy the same point in space at the same moment in time. He <laughs> <laughs> became Transylvanian a little bit there. <laughs> I love cows. Oh my god. Now you're, now you're back to Pearl Parker. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The right. two objects cannot occupy the same point in time, but let's try my teeth and your neck. <laughs> <laughs> I need this your restroom again. Oh. Uh.